As we begin this morning, I want us to do a quick eye test just to see whether the PowerPoint projector settings are correct and we can read what's on the screen. So are you ready? Would you mind reading aloud the words that come up on the screen? One, two, three. I love... Wonderful. Are you sure you got that completely right? Let's try it again. I love Paris in the, the springtime. There's two, there's two the's there. Hmm, okay. We'll have to, we'll have to check this. <laughs> so for those of you who can't see, it's an optical illusion. The words, I love Paris in the, the springtime are printed in a triangle. And the reason that the illusion works is because your brain thinks it knows what comes next. You know the words, I love Paris in the springtime, and so your brain automatically tells you what you should be reading. I think that sometimes something similar happens when we come to the Lord's Prayer. It's very easy when we pray it for our brains to switch to autopilot and for us to just say the words we think we know without really seeing them or necessarily thinking them through. And so over the last couple of weeks, we've been going slowly through the Lord's Prayer, or really the Disciples' Prayer, just a phrase at a time, and looking at what it is we're actually praying and how that can change our lives and in turn the lives of those around us. Let's have a look at the prayer again. Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 13. Jesus says, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And this is God's word. The phrase that we're going to look at this morning is found in the first part of verse 12, where Jesus teaches us to pray, forgive us our debts. What does the word debt mean? Well, clearly Jesus isn't speaking about finances, and we know that because two verses later, Jesus says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. So when Jesus speaks about debts, he's speaking about sin. Uh, the word sin has just about uh, totally dropped out of our society's vocabulary. When was the last time you heard someone use the word sin at a dinner party or around the braai? Well, actually, you do hear the word sin around a braai. Someone will say, you must try this pudding. It's so delicious, it's sinful. <laughs> and that's the way that our world and perhaps we ourselves think about sin. Sin is simply a little naughtiness on the side. The Bible uses a number of different words to describe sin. We read of sin being described as law-breaking, as a deviation, as a shortcoming, rebellion, a pollution, missing one's target. But, but this word debt speaks about the relational aspect of sin. How many of you have ever owed someone money? 
or maybe you've lent money to someone. I'm not talking about a bank loan uh, or a loan from an institution. I'm talking about a, a personal loan from a family member or, or from a friend. And what does that loan do? It subtly, imperceptibly changes the relationship. Things change. There's a subtle shift. Until the debt is repaid in full, there's always something between us. And that's what sin is. It's something that comes between us and God and changes our relationship. Now, many people don't like to think of themselves as being sinners or having sin. But I think that if we take an honest, deep look inside, we discover the truth. There are many things in my life of which I am deeply ashamed. Someone pointed out that if human beings could read thoughts, all friendship would immediately end. And that's just our thoughts. Why, why is it that when a taxi speeds down Forest Drive, he's a maniac, but when I do it, I'm being responsible by not being late for my next meeting? I can't even keep the standards I set for other people, let alone the standards I set for myself. And I might say, I'm better than Hitler, I'm better than Robert Mugabe, I'm better than my neighbor. But the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. If the pass mark for an exam is 50% and I get 49% and you only get 23%, it really doesn't matter because we've both failed. And I may be better than you or feel that I am, but we both fall short of the glory of God. The Apostle Paul, who was a member of the most religious sect of the most moral nation ever, took a hard look inside, and in Romans chapter 7, he concluded, I know that nothing good lives in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For what I do is not the good I want to do. No, the evil I do not want to do. This I keep on doing. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? And then he goes on, thanks be to God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, he explains what God through Jesus did for us. God made Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us, for me, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God, pure and holy in his sight. What we couldn't do for ourselves, God did for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus takes my sin upon himself on the cross, pays my debt. And so Paul writes to the Ephesians, In him we have redemption, being bought out of slavery, our indebtedness to sin. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace. And all that we have to do to receive this forgiveness is simply to ask. And can I ask you, have you done that? You may have been attending church for years and not yet received forgiveness from God and reconciliation to him, a relationship with him. And if you'd like to chat about that afterwards, I'd be happy to do that. There are some little leaflets at the back as well about finding peace with God. Or just open up your Bible and read and call out to God for yourself. So forgiveness is where we start the Christian life, but repentance and confession and forgiveness 
continue to be a part of our Christian walk as well. And we see that in a little word that wasn't in the version of the prayer that I read, but is there in the original Greek language in which the prayer was written. It's the little word and. The newer translations pick it up. The verse literally reads, and forgive us our debts. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts. Jesus reminds us that both of those requests are necessary for us, and not just occasionally, but daily. Now, someone might ask, but if God has forgiven all of our sin at the cross, then surely it's not necessary to keep on asking for forgiveness. But I think you see there's a difference between God as our judge and God as our father between us being justified, put right with God legally, and us being God's adopted sons and daughters relationally. The theologian Jim Packer puts it this way in one of his books. He says, the Lord's Prayer is the family prayer in which God's adopted children address their father. And though their daily failures don't overthrow their justification, Things won't be right between them and their father until they've said sorry and have asked him to overlook the ways that they have let him down. Now, I think it's possible to make two equal and opposite mistakes here. Uh, some preachers emphasize the fact that we are forgiven, justified, righteous, God's children, and we should live out of that identity. And I think that they are correct. I'm less likely to sin when I recognize that such smutty behavior is unworthy of a child of the king. Other preachers overemphasize the fact that we're still sinners who sin. And again, they're not wrong. We've looked at Romans 7, where Paul describes the struggle he has with his sinful human nature. We, we are sinners, and we still sin. I think the balance here is captured in the words of a beautiful song, my worth is not in what I own. Where the artist sings, two wonders here that I confess, my worth and my unworthiness, my value fixed, my ransom paid at the cross. Two wonders, my worth and my unworthiness. Any of you who've spent an entire evening searching the streets for a lost stuffed toy of your child know the truth of this. That little stuffed toy is the most you know, ragged little thing imaginable, but it is of immense worth to my daughter, and so I have to spend time looking for it. It's the same with us, that yes, we are sinners, and yet we are of immense value to God. And so we come to the cross to be declared righteous in God's sight. And thereafter, there's still the need for daily confession of sin. I think that's uh, uh, wonderfully illustrated in John chapter 13. Remember on the night before his death in the upper room, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. And he comes to Simon Peter, who says, under no circumstances are you going to wash my feet. And Jesus replies, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. To which Peter, who's this kind of all or nothing guy, says, then Lord, not just my feet, but my head and my hands as well. And Jesus replies, a person who's had a bath needs only to wash his feet. His whole body is clean and you are clean. 
And that's what we do when we come and confess our sins to God. We don't have to start all over again as believers. We're clean already. We just come to God on a daily basis to wash off the dirt of the day. Well, with that background in mind, uh, let's move on and have a look at how we pray this prayer and what happens when we pray it. So firstly, just a few practicalities as to how we might pray this prayer. And I've pinched some of these headings from John Ortberg's book, The Life You've Always Wanted, Spiritual Disciplines for Ordinary People. But he speaks about a first important step in confessing, and, and that is preparation. We begin by placing ourselves into the care of the Holy Spirit and asking for his help. We need to do this, firstly, because the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin. And without him, I might gloss over things that I feel are unimportant. And so I pray with the psalmist, who can discern their own errors? Forgive my hidden faults. But I also place myself into the hands of the Holy Spirit because he is the comforter. And I ask him to guide me in confession, otherwise I might be overwhelmed by a sense of, of condemnation. So preparation. After asking for the Holy Spirit's help, the next step is self-examination. And sometimes that's done best at the end of the day, when I think back and reflect on the thoughts and the actions and the words and the things that I have left undone during the day. Those are four broad categories of sin for which we might want to ask forgiveness. Some people think of an even more detailed list. For example, the sins of pride and anger and lust, greed, envy, sloth, gluttony. How did I do in regards to each of those during the day? The great Reformation pastor, Martin Luther, took the Ten Commandments as a list against which to check his day. But, but self-examination. In terms of this, I think it's also important that we're specific in our prayers. If we simply pray, forgive me, Lord, for everything that I did wrong today, in asking forgiveness for everything, I end up asking forgiveness for nothing. I need to be specific. Lord, my boss asked me where I was at two o'clock today, and I said that I was in a meeting when I was actually picking up the kids from school. I lied because I wanted to avoid trouble. Self-examination also includes taking responsibility for what I've done. So John Ortberg writes, to confess means to own up to the fact that our behavior wasn't just the result of bad parenting, poor genes, jealous siblings, or a chemical imbalance from eating too much jelly tots. Any or all of those factors may be involved, but confession means saying that somewhere in the mix was a choice, and the choice was made by us. And it doesn't need to be excused, explained, or even understood. The choice needs to be forgiven. Another element of self-examination which can be very helpful is to ask the questions, why and what? Why did I do what I did? I might discover that the reason I was so nasty to my colleague was to try and make myself look better. 
The reason that I looked at pornography was in order to comfort myself. In fact, often sin is trying to meet a legitimate need in an illegitimate way. I may discover that I need to spend a lot more time with God receiving his comfort and his affirmation so I don't need to comfort myself in illegitimate ways or act in ways that hurt others. And then the what question. What happened as a result of my sin? Self-examination as guided by the presence and prompting of the Holy Spirit can lead us to a new way of feeling about our sin. We enter into the pain of the person that we've sinned against. Also, we want to enter into the pain that we've caused God. Remember again the relational aspect of this prayer. Forgive us our debts. We're never going to make progress in our battle against sin until we understand and feel that sin isn't breaking a law. It's breaking the heart of our Father. The third step in confessing our sin after um, preparation and examination is restitution. You know, when I've entered the pain of the person I've wronged, I'll want to make amends, uh, to offer the apology, to pay back the money, uh, to, to go back and tell the truth. And then a, a final step in praying this prayer is, is a fresh resolve. To quote John Ortberg again, Confession is not just naming what we've done in the past. It involves our intentions about the future as well. It requires a kind of promise. As God does his work in us through the process of confession, we'll feel a deep desire not to do this hurtful thing again. And so we make a vow. We resolve that with God's help, we will change. So having looked at how we pray this prayer, let's move on and look at what happens when we pray this prayer. What does praying this prayer achieve? I think that firstly, praying forgive us our debts leads to humility. Or perhaps it flows from humility. Remember again that the context for this prayer is the Sermon in the Mount. And uh, Jesus kicks off his sermon with these words. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, humility is really the starting point for true prayer. When we're proudly self-sufficient, we don't have any need for God. C.S. Lewis once said, God wants to give us something, but he can't because our hands are full. There's nowhere for him to put it. But when we humble ourselves, when we empty ourselves, when we recognize that we're needy, that's the true starting point for prayer. Secondly, to pray, forgive us our debts, restores honesty. When I ask God for forgiveness, what am I doing? Am I telling God something that he doesn't know? <laughs> you know, a little bit like uh, when you're at a family party as an adult and you finally tell your mom that it was you who put worms into granny's tooth glass when you were a little boy. All of these years, the family have wondered who it was and now they finally found out as you confess. It, it's not like that at all. <laughs> Listen to the words of Psalm 139. O oh Lord, you've searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. 
as that great confessional prayer of the church begins, Almighty God, to whom all hearts are open, all desires known, and from whom no secrets are hidden. I'm not telling God something he doesn't know. Rather, I'm inviting him into what he already knows. It's so interesting that Psalm 139 begins, O Lord, you've searched me and know me, but the psalm ends, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there's any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. So notice the important difference between verse 1 and verse 23. Verse 1 represents intellectual knowledge. I know that God knows everything about me. Verse 23 represents invitation. I'm inviting God into my heart and my thoughts and my offensive ways. It's trusting God with what God already knows. Thirdly, in praying, forgive us our debts, I'm also restoring intimacy. Because honesty is a sign of intimacy, isn't it? When the cashier at Pick and Pay asks me, how are you? I don't begin to share exactly what's going on in my week and in my life. With some friends, I'll chat about the rugby or the news or ESCOM. But with others, I go a little deeper and speak about what's happening in my life and in my family. Maybe there are others with whom I share my dreams and hopes and fears. And then, of course, there's one special friend, Michelle, who knows everything about me. We're honest with those that we are closest to. And it must be so frustrating to God when we aren't honest with him, when we pretend to be something that we're not. Again, C.S. Lewis had this advice about prayer. He said, we must lay before God what is in us, not what we think ought to be in us or what we wish were in us. And in fact, that's the context for the Lord's Prayer. Remember that in the verses leading up to this prayer, Jesus warns against pretending in prayer. He says, we're not to pretend. When you pray, don't be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray, standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they've received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door, and pray to your Father who is unseen. Just the real me connecting with the real God. And then finally, and this is a good place to end the entire sermon, <laughs> praying forgive us our debts restores relationship. Uh, we've looked at this already. Uh, asking for forgiveness restores our relationship with our Father. The Bible promises us in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us and purify us from all unrighteousness. There was a Roman Catholic priest a few years ago with a very unfortunate surname. In fact, he wasn't just a priest, he was a cardinal in the Roman Catholic Church. His surname was Sin. So he was Cardinal Sin, Cardinal Jamie Sin, uh, the Archbishop of Manila. I'm not making it up. <laughs> he used to tell the story of how a woman kept on coming along to their Sunday worship services, and she would tell him that she had a message from God to share with the congregation. It's always dangerous. And Cardinal Jamie tried to brush her off several times, but she kept on coming back. And so he eventually he said to her, look, 
We Catholics have very strict rules about sharing visions and messages from God. I want you to go back home and ask God about a particular sin that I recently confessed in private. And if you ask God and he tells you and you can tell me, then I'll know that your vision is genuine. Well, a week later, this lady came back. And so Cardinal Jamie asked her very nervously, well, did you ask God about my sin? And the lady said, I did. And he said, and did God answer? And the lady replied, yes, he did. And with much trepidation, Cardinal Jamie said, what did he say? And this lady replied, God said that he couldn't remember. <laughs> I don't know if she got to share in church the next week or not. But as we end, let's do so with great encouragement. In Isaiah 43, God says to us, to you this morning, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we say thank you for what you did for us on the cross, that all of our sin was placed upon you, and that we do stand before the Father clothed in your righteousness. There is nothing that we need to do to be righteous in your sight. It's not a case of do or do or do. It's a case of done, what you've done for us on the cross. We pray that we would live our lives out of that this week, that indeed we would recognize that we are your beloved sons and beloved daughters, and that there is nothing that we can do that would make you love us any more, nothing that we could do that would make you love us any less. And yet, Lord, we do want to please you. We want to follow you. And so in this week that lies ahead, there will be times where we pause and say, forgive us our debts. Thank you that we can pray that prayer knowing that you will always answer it. Yes. Amen.